This morning I want to share a message with you. You know, in these times that are perilous and troublesome, you need to know the direction and the course you're going in. And I have a lot of folks uh, throughout the congregation that are wondering my positions and my stands on a lot of different things and what to engage in and so forth. I want to make it perfectly clear today where I am leading you as your pastor, where I'm taking you through this season and this time that we're living in. And I want to help you understand my perspective. You don't have to agree with it. And you have different dimensions to it. And each of you has a unique calling to what God's calling you to do in these days and in this time. I'm just telling you where I'm going to lead you and how so that you can walk in agreement with it and, and move forward with it. So what are the issues that we need to fight for? And uh, one of the biggest concerns I have is compromise. A subtle and not so subtle in some instances attack of our faith, our nation, our families, our morals, and for us as a people to compromise in them. We are not to compromise. Compromise works in marriage when you have two different points of view, but you're going to share together in the work. Compromise does not work when you compromise the truth and you compromise God's word or morality. We are not going to do that. So compromise is achieved by a person becoming discouraged, disheartened, bewildered, thrown into disorder, confusion, fear. How many of you know that fear many times brings people into compromises for where they should stand and where they should put their toe to the line? Fear sometimes causes folks to compromise. Being disoriented, dismayed, which we can be in these hours, causes us to compromise. Why do people compromise? A loss of conviction, when you get something pushing against you so often, so frequently, and attacking who you are for your convictions, many times you begin to compromise. If you don't fully grasp and understand what you believe in and why you believe it, it's easier to give up and compromise on those positions because really you held them because your mother or father held them or your friends hold them or your church group holds them and you really don't fully understand why you hold those same convictions. That's how we lose many times our youth to the world. They don't understand the faith. Also, we compromise basically because of lust of the flesh. I think this would feel better than me holding my convictions. And so we give up and surrender because of a luck a lust of the flesh. We have a, a lack of vision. My people perish for a lack of vision. They cast off restraint because they don't have a prophetic sense of where they are, where they're positioned, and where they should stand in this hour. And many believers are in that place today. I don't know my position. I don't know where to stand. I don't know what to say. So we compromise. Of course, the enemy comes in and there's deception. We're fooled. There's just enough truth in some situations that if, if you would love like Jesus loves, you would accept this. And there's deception in some of that. We compromise. 
Many of us are pushed off of the foundations and the boundary lines historically of what the church has stood for. What is the apostles' doctrine on this? What is the stand that the church has? And is it antiquated? Is it sufficient for the 21st century? And so many of us leave our foundational truths and compromise. Bottom line, at the end, it's just a lot easier. Can't we all get along? Why do I have to resist? And so there's this great compromise that takes place. And what I'm telling you is if you would go even a step beyond compromising, you are in the realm of surrender. My message this morning is beyond compromise. What happens when the church compromises its position on the Word of God? We begin to surrender to an enemy. And they take over. What if we don't believe that the word of God is inerrant and inspired? We begin to lose its efficacy, its power, and its authority, and we surrender. What if we no longer believe that the ministry of the Holy Spirit has the full resurrection power he intended it to have? We begin to surrender and compromise and move beyond compromise. I'm alarmed today at the state that... Our nation is in, the church is in, the families, and ultimately, our own faith. I am convinced in some of these realms that we are already beyond compromise, and we have already surrendered. That's my concern. That's my heart. And this is not a recent issue. For many of us, we've had our heads down and we've been living our life and planting our gardens and enjoying the sunshine while we didn't realize our nation was being stolen. We didn't realize the church was failing in its culture. We didn't realize that the family has been disintegrating. We think that COVID brought this on. We, we think that the recent elections and our politics have brought this on, but this has been going on for quite a while. I believe we're beyond compromise. We've been compromising inch by inch, now foot by foot, now mile by mile. I want to share some information with you. Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmanov was a former KGB agent. He defected to Canada in 1970. And in 1984, he wrote a book and he made these interviews in this point saying that the work of the KGB does not involve espionage like the spies you see on TV, but 85% of it is a slow process called ideological subversion. Besmanov described this process as a great brainwashing which has four stages. Ideological subversion. Now, he's saying that's what the KGB does in fighting against democracies to bring them into communism. He says that uh, Russia's been working on this uh, against the West for years and years. He felt that by 1984 it was completely established. But I'm looking at this, not only this ideological subversion as something of communism on a global effort, but even deeper than that, behind it all, is the scheme of the enemy, Satan. This is how he works 
in all of our convictions and against us in our beliefs. The four stages he talks about start with number one, demoralization. Says it takes about 15 to 20 years in the process so that you can start with a generation young in the universities, high schools, in their education systems. And over 15 and 20 years, you can take a generation and they become the next leaders of the political realm, the economic realm, the seven mountain realm that operates any culture and you brainwash them and you demoralize them. In other words, you take out the morals that they had grown up with and understand and you subvert them. To demoralize means to cause to turn aside or to compromise what is good or true or morally right. To demoralize someone is to take what they knew as to be up and turn it down. To take what they understood to be true as now false. To rewrite the history of your nation, to rewrite the history of your understanding, to re rewrite your sensitivity to truth and morality, to demoralize you. We saw this beginning in the 60s. You can trust no one under over 30. It's achieved by discouragement, disheartenment, bewilderment, and throwing you into disorder, confusion, and fear. It demoralizes you. You saw it as a nation through the Vietnam War. A nation so demoralized by what they were fighting for, why, against communism, it split the nation. It moved into race relations, and it has completely shown and, and reemerged at such clashes of racial discrimination. We've had it in this nation. We've been improving, and all of a sudden, we're having greater divides than ever before. It's dividing this nation. We're demoralized. We're thrown into disorder. We're confused. We don't even know what gender people are at birth. We figure you can pick it and choose it. And this is becoming the norm. We're demoralized as a nation the church can't even stand. The church doesn't even know where to draw its lines concerning the LGBTQ, concerning rights, concerning abortion, concerning uh, uh, the, the word of God and its inspiration. The church is failing miserably. The nation is failing miserably. So are our families. I did. The second stage after demoralization, once you begin to remove the fabric of what is right and wrong, you move into destabilization. Ideological subversion then takes what you thought was right to make you confused, to help you try to figure out what, which way to go, and to then destabilize it. This is where we lose most of our high school students in colleges. They are demoralized in the fabric of what they've learned and understood, and then they are destabilized in their home life and in their relationship to family. Stabilize basically means to destroy essential stability. How stable do you feel in these days? How stable is the government? How stable is our economy? How stable is our morality? 
And so destabilization, he figured, uh, takes about two to five year period to take place. Again, he felt this was already accomplished in 1984. The next is crisis. Crisis can happen as quickly as a six-month process. What crisis can do, once you've been demoralized and don't know which way to turn and what is right and where to stand and hold conviction, you become destabilized so that you become fearful and uncomfortable and then you bring in crisis. Crisis begins violent change, erupt quick change. This could happen through natural disaster. This could happen for our energy grid to fall. This could happen with an economic collapse. It could happen with a pandemic. Crisis in the land. It could happen in an election. It can happen in many different ways, but crisis coming to a nation that is destabilized and demoralized will cause everyone to fear and to panic and to compromise what they've understood to be right. Then the next step is normalization because everybody wants relief. We need something, someone, to come in and normalize what has been turned upside down, trashed, and destroyed beyond compromise to surrender to a new normal. And what will that new normal be? That's the next phase I believe we're waiting for. It's, it could be this year that a crisis will come beyond the pandemic, a natural disaster, economic just something coming so quickly, so swiftly, that it will cause all of us to panic and look for normalization and move beyond compromise, whatever it would take. I don't care who it is. Just bring me back my ability to shop, my ability to hold on to my property and eat my meals. People will surrender their com- anything as long as they can stay comfortable. That's a Western mindset. A consumer mindset. How many of you remember after 9-11, the one thing that the president said for everybody to do to make normal feel good again, go and shop. Spend your money. Oh, if we could have a stimulus check so that we could go keep spending and all be happy. Oh, wait. We already got two. Which has moved us into a socialistic attitude of nobody wanting to work. How many of you have been driving down and see that there are help wanted signs in every business anywhere? They can't find anyone to work because we've been destabilized, we've been demoralized, we don't want to work. I don't want to leave my house. So, what is the new normal? What is the new normal that's coming? Personally, I believe as a nation, we're beyond compromise, we've surrendered. As a church, I believe we're beyond compromise. We've surrendered. Not the church universal, but the Western church. It's hard for me to find pastors that even believe and walk in agreement with the Word of God. That believe that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is valid and true today. 
The church is failing miserably. The family. The family's been redefined. Marriage has been redefined. Gender itself, biology and science has been thrown out to where we don't even understand the binary aspect of male and female anymore. Our culture has gone beyond compromise and surrendered. One more crisis will bring the the cry for some kind of normalization. And that's where I'm here to tell you what my focus is. As your pastor, I'm telling you, write your congressmen, write your senators, get involved politically, get involved in your education, do what you need to do. But that's not my format. That's not my calling. To the family and, and to the ethics and to the situation around, we need to be engaged. To the church, the church needs restoration. The church needs to, to come back through revival and to come back to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But where I am leading you is one thing, individual faith. My goal is not to take on the nation. My goal is not to take on the church. My goal is not to take on the family. My goal is now all the way backed up to individuals standing for Jesus Christ. That is my goal, your personal discipleship. Look at if you're compromised in your faith, what good are you to change the nation? If you're compromised in your faith, how are you going to help your family? If you're compromised in your individual faith, how is the church ever going to come back to its place of strength? We're beyond compromise in all those areas, and all that's left is you standing for the faith of Jesus Christ. I am here to encourage you individually to hold on to your faith and do not compromise. That is my goal. If the remnant of the church and the individuals will come back to true conviction, then we can save a nation, then we can restore our families, then we can restore the church. What good is it for a compromised believer to speak to a compromised nation? The fire has to start here and now in you. You cannot go beyond compromise. You cannot surrender to what the enemy is trying to destabilize in your life and demoralize from your understanding. Crisis will come. You must stand. Crisis should not knock you off your faith and wonder where God is. The classic story this morning is the three Hebrew boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You see, their nation, Israel, had come to such a place beyond compromise that they had surrendered because of their own sin. The spiritual leaders of Israel were prophesying, all is well, don't worry about Babylon, everything's fine. One weeping prophet cried out, and they wouldn't believe him. Their church was beyond compromise in Israel. The state and its political leadership was beyond compromise. And God took them into Babylon. They began to become demoralized. 
They also became destabilized and crisis brought them under arrest by Babylon. They began to brainwash them and what they began to do was change the language. They took those young men uh, from Israel, the brightest and the smartest, and brought them into Babylon and they gave them Babylonian names to change their identity. He uh, King Nebuchadnezzar then had them learn the language and only speak Babylonian. He had them work in his political system. He had gotten them to a place of reorientation and normalization that you Jewish boys, your new normal is Babylonian. Is that what's going to happen to the church? We say no. So did these three boys. The cabinet and the leaders saw this conviction in the young men and talked to Nebuchadnezzar and said, you need to put an end to this. You need to create a crisis to prove out who will walk with us. And so they created a crisis so that Nebuchadnezzar built a statue so that whoever would see it must bow down to the new normal, to the new authority, to the new morality, to the new economics, to the new politics of the Babylonian kingdom. And when you hear the music play, everyone will bow to it. That's the stage we're at now. Can you hear the music? Can you hear it? These three Hebrew boys would not bow. They would not compromise. We'll learn your language for you. Fine. You want to call us by this name? Call us whatever you want. Fine. But we will never, never compromise our faith in Yahweh. The music played. The people bowed, and in the crowd and throng of thousands, there were three figures that stood up, refusing to bow. Church, it is our hour to not bow. They were immediately arrested. They cried and whimpered and said, we're sorry, we'll bow now. No, they did not. They cried and whimpered and said, Oh, where is God? He said he'd promised that I wouldn't even uh, trip on a stone or hurt myself. Oh, there must not be a Yahweh. No. Man can do whatever man wants to against us. I will not bow. Took them in prison and said, You will be burned. Ignite that fire seven times greater, for you would not bow or compromise. And this is what these Israelite boys said. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. That's faith. But I love this next portion. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, 
We will not serve your God or worship your golden image that you have set up. Amen. They love not their lives even unto death. That's the portion of Scripture we often forget. We overcame the enemy. We overcame that Satan. We overcame that devil. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony... Because we love not our lives even unto death. No compromise here. Even if God doesn't show up, will you stand for him? And this is my passion. This is my heart. You all have different callings. You all get involved in different issues and different things. That's fine. As your pastor, I'm concerned about one thing. Your faith your individual faith, and I am calling you to a no compromise. It is a day where we will stand. Imagine these young men standing before the king, not the statue, now the king. It's one thing not to bow to the system. It's another not to bow face to face with the king. Our God is going to rescue us from that fiery furnace, and if not, we will still never bow to your God. I will not bow to the God of America. I will not bow to the God of political uh, parties. I will not bow to the God of economics. I will not bow to the God of special interest groups. I will not bow to anything else but the name of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, your pastors, your leaders, we are going to encourage you. We're going to challenge you. We're going to build you up. We're going to instruct you in the ways of what discipleship of Jesus Christ means. How to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? That is our goal. That is our heart. It may not match the pace of where other people are or what the church is doing or what our culture is doing. I don't care. We belong to a kingdom with one king, the Lord Jesus Christ. We may have to go into a fiery furnace, brothers and sisters. Are you ready? Because I want to tell you who's in that furnace. When they went in that furnace, there was someone there. As the king looked and saw, didn't I put three in that furnace? And isn't there a fourth that is shining as brilliant as a son of God? It was Jesus. And it's in the fiery furnace you truly meet the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We may have to stand without any compromise and go through fire to do it. But we, Jesus will be there with us.